Hello and welcome to this edition of the Hacker Public Radio Audio Book Club. Uh, I am Pokey. Joining me tonight is Klaatu. Hello, everyone. And Resno. Hello. And we're reviewing uh, Resno's pick from last week, which is, oh, not last week, but last episode, which is Dead Hunt by, uh, who was that by again, Resno? You have that off the top of your head? By Ken Crawford. Okay, by Ken Crawford. And just in case we have any new listeners, um, the way that we do this is we listen to an, a freely available audiobook. So, so far we've gotten them all from Podio Books, but there's nothing stopping us from getting them from LibriVox or any other source that allows anyone to download it for free, uh, just to be as inclusive as possible. We go through some basic opinions of the book, a little bit of a review, I guess, without doing any spoilers in the first half of the show. And then we do a beverage review, which we each bring our own beverage, and after the beverage review, we do spoilers. So if you haven't listened to the audiobook yet or read the paper version, I believe this is available in a, uh, a, a uh, electronic book, um, then you can listen to the first part and listen to the beverage review without worrying about there being any spoilers. Klaatu, what did you think of this book? Well, I'm a pretty big sort of zombie uh, fiction fan, so I... Or not so, but and. I really liked this one. I thought this was a really cleverly told story. I thought that the characters were really well developed. It went a lot slower at first than I'd expected, and that kind of disturbed me at first, but it just kept getting better and better and better. I I really enjoyed it. Excellent. Resno, what'd you think? You know, I, I hate to sound like I'm mirroring what Klaatu has to say here, but you know, I really thought this was a good book. I liked a lot of the actors. I liked the, the differentiation differentiation of voices. Um, I really thought that, you know, a lot of things that they did was pretty cool. Excellent. I think I'm going to be the, the lone dissenter. I didn't care for it a whole lot. I liked it a bit, and I agree that the characters were really well developed. I really enjoyed them. And I thought the story was pretty good overall as well. Um, but some of the things that happened in the story were so far-fetched that it it broke the story for me. And, and that's that'll have to come after the spoiler part. But uh, that was my only real complaint with it. I, I liked the audio quality and the characters, and the storyline was good. One of the things I didn't like, actually, was one thing that Resno said he did like, which were the different voices. I, I don't tend to like that in audiobooks, um, at least so far. And and it kind of, for some reason, that kind of throws me out of the story. I don't know why it is, but I, I tend to not like that. I didn't love that about this. But, I mean, obviously that's not even about the book. That's just about the production. And it wasn't bad. It's just not my thing. Well, in... in um contrast the previous book that we did actually had a person that did very monotone voices and it was really hard for us to figure out who was talking so you know to me this was a a, a wide change and um in opposition to what we had previously done so yeah i tend to like distinct voices whether they're the same you know the same guy narrating it and and doing different voices or whether they're different actors I, I like that. The only thing that really throws me off when that happens is if one person's audio quality is distinctly different from the others, which um you know, you can't blame somebody for that and I don't I don't 
you know, fault anybody for that. But that also, I don't think that happened here. Yeah, I mean, all the actors I think were really good and everything. is. I guess maybe I'm just used to, like, when I was a kid, my dad would always read us books, and, and he would always be able to kind of evoke lots of different characters in the way that he read it. So I'm kind of used to, like, the lone voice. But yeah, I mean, there should always be a differentiation between the voices. Um, so it wasn't badly done. I just think it's maybe not my thing yet. Maybe if I hear more books like this that do the different actors for different characters, maybe I'll get more used to it. So this is the book I chose. Um, when I originally came across the book, um, after we did the previous book, you know, they had different voices. I really liked that and, you know, said, hey, let's try this and see how it comes out. And, you know, let's see if it comes out well or not. Yeah, I, I that's interesting that you say that, Glad too, because I remember my mom reading to us as kids. And, uh, I mean, I don't know how many times she read the Lord of the Rings series to us. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what my dad read. Yeah, and, and it was like she couldn't really make any different voices (laughs) so i i never had that so it's weird that uh, maybe that's what it is i like the difference now yeah really you know i thought the uh the prologue was a really interesting technique too i you know when i started the book i don't i guess we can't say too much for fear of being spoiling but i mean you know how that that the the first it's sort of chapter zero you know it's not chapter one yet it's like just the first thing that you download really catches your attention and then it kind of pulls back and continues in a different direction i thought that was really interesting i don't know if that's too too close to being a spoiler or not but i thought that was a cool trick no i think it's perfectly fair to spoil the prologue go right ahead so i know what uh me and integral talked about this a little bit so i'll try to offer his opinion um when he actually listened to the prologue it made him not like the book so he actually kind of dunked the book a little bit because he didn't think that the uh, prologue was very good. Interesting. I, on the other hand, thought the prologue was pretty good and, it, like you said, was interesting. Um, the the only thing that... Uh, we can spoil the prologue, right? Yeah, because, I mean, anybody's going to listen to the prologue if they're going to listen at all. So, I, when I listened to the prologue, I kind of felt weird um, because in the openings, like in the opening of the of the story, they tell you that the, the, the girl is 17 or she's under 18 and they talked about her her body very uh, vividly. Talked about you know the anatomy and all those different types of things. Um, it it felt kind of weird in that description of a young person, um, in in that in that kind of light. I don't know. Did did you all find that weird? Did you think about it or no? Yes, absolutely. I thought that was really weird. And at first, I guess I was having maybe Integral's reaction because I was like, this is really kind of creepy and but but i the more he talked the more he went or she went on and on and on about this character i i I started to think that 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 it might be important or like this was what kind of book it was going to be where it really really analyzes something which I, i don't think it really does in the end actually so i'm not honestly i'm not stylistically i'm not really clear on what what they were going for in that prologue, <laughs> but uh, I guess the rest of the prologue kind of paid off for me. So I so I thought that was kind of interesting. It it made me when I heard the prologue too. It made me feel really uncomfortable to hear such a vivid description of an underage girl. And I I found myself wishing he wasn't doing that. And the only thing, well, two things that kept me listening. Number one is it was you know basically an assignment for the show. <laughs> But also the other thing that kept me listening was the part where he said that she was dressed almost exactly as her dad didn't or wouldn't want her to dress. And that I related to, 
and that got me through the rest of the prologue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really not sure what he was going for there, and I think I think that was a very strange choice. But I, for me, the rest of the stuff, like like what she she finds at the towards the end of the prologue, just stuff like that. I was like, okay, this is going somewhere, so I'm going to keep listening. Um, yeah, I don't know if anything ever really came of those descriptions. That that might be an odd choice, all in all. Well, I I think it was it was there to convey the idea that she was way you know, quote unquote out of the league of a guy like Michael. Um, but I think that he could have done that just as easily by saying she's way out of his league. Yeah, he he definitely because the the time he spends on those descriptions, you feel like why am I looking at this person so closely and so long? It's kind of yeah, definitely is unsettling, and a little bit like I don't know, it made me roll my eyes a couple of times, almost like has this author never seen a girl before? <laughs> I mean, like what what's the big deal here? And it kind of yeah, it did. I agree. It it, it felt. It made me feel, not that the story was creepy, but it made me feel like I was a voyeuristic creep, and I didn't like that. Yeah, but to be fair, to be fair, a lot of the book actually sounded a lot like I was just kind of hearing someone's very exact description of a movie. You know, like a lot of the scenes to me felt very cinematic, and so I I wonder if the author really kind of was seeing a lot of this in his head and just wrote everything down that he was seeing in his head, which is okay, and I can kind of identify with that. I think I fall into that myself whenever I write little things, you know. You kind of see it in your head, and you want to, you want people to know exactly what you're seeing in your head, and so sometimes you might be very, very exact, and maybe to a listener who's not expecting that, that wasn't quite necessary. So it's interesting you mentioned that, actually. Um, uh, and So following the book, there's two additional pieces of media that you can listen to and he talks about like how he made the book and then he also has uh other guests you know the other actors come in they talk about their experiences and stuff and um one such story he tells about how dead hunt was created and he says that his original idea was to make it into a movie and he wanted to you know he want he has a teenage daughter who's a cheerleader so it kind of fit the story and um he was following some kind of he was reading something about how to make production and do these kind of things and um yeah he said he really he wanted to make it into a movie but didn't have the budget and and through a, a series of events decided to go ahead and make it an an audio a patio book so you know that that really fits along with what you're saying yeah i didn't i didn't listen to that so that's really actually interesting to hear i didn't hear that part yep i was i was going to say exactly what resno just said because the way you described it was almost to a t the way the author described it. He he began by writing a screenplay that he was going to record on his home video camera, and he decided that he just couldn't handle the special effects that would be required, so he turned it into this, this audio book, audio drama type thing. Well, for the record, I think it would make a fantastic movie. I know you, I guess, disagree, Pokey, but I mean, I really, I was really entertained for the entire the entire way through the book. I, I, I really, I, the, like the very first chapter, I was like, how long are we going to follow these teenagers around? But after a while, they started to, to grow on me. So I was like, well, I, I actually, I'm really starting to care about these characters. I would, I don't want to say it would make a bad movie. In fact, it would probably make a better movie than a book because you, you don't think about as much stuff. It's just that, uh, yeah. it's just that some of this, I mean, cause it, I'm sure it's a better movie than Resident Evil because that was just garbage. <laughs> but if, if I'm listening to an audiobook and something happens, um, 
you know, without getting into too much, when they talk about the way that viruses mutate and it's totally unrealistic and wrong, that that kills me, you know? Well, see, I felt like I, I, I'm not a scientist or anything, and they, and they go into a scientific explanation of how the virus spreads, and, you know, that that kind of hit me a little bit when they actually went into an in-depth explanation of, as to how it spreads. And I thought it kind of took the usual Resident Evil, how the virus spreads, and, and changed a little bit, and made it made it his own. I really kind of appreciated that that explanation of what um, what it was, what the purpose was. You know, for example, like Resident Evil, they don't really explain why this virus was created. It was just created, and I think the storyline explains why it was created and why it would do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, Resno. I, I mean, well, first of all, I should say, I mean, Resident Evil, the whole series, I love, so I, I don't have a problem with those. But I, I do like that. That yeah, this guy, uh, Ken, Ken, Kevin or Ken, Ken, Ken Crawford, Ken. I think the the fact that he made it. Yeah, his own and and made it gave it a, a real backstory as to why he created this thing, or as as why someone created this virus. Um, I, I think that was really strong, actually, and I, I really appreciated that as well. Thought it was a, a good thing to do. Oh, I I agree with that. The why was was fantastic. It was perfect. It was one of the best, most well written whys. You know, why are we here in this story? Why are we listening to this? It was one of the best, most well-written ones I've heard so far in an audiobook. It was, it was the how that came, you know, much later in some of the later chapters that that really just knocked me back a step or two. And it's, it's the whole um, suspending disbelief thing. And I've talked about it on this show before, where people say you have to suspend your disbelief for a book to work, and I, I totally disagree with that. I don't think you should have to suspend your disbelief. I just think that the story, the the rules of the world or the universe in the story should be consistent. And those rules, when an author creates that world, he should not break his own rules for that world. And if you're going to set it in in the real world, then some real world rules have to apply, or else I have to suspend my disbelief. And that takes me out of a story. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from there, and I think I might even know what you're talking about in terms of what you're not, what you're not really into. Um, and I kind of got that way about the computer. You know, the minute someone starts talking about a computer in in a story, I or in a movie or whatever, you know, I'm I'm always like, are you making this up or is this, you know, do you have some background? And I'm, I feel like probably he doesn't have a big background in computers. So, yeah, there are little things that I, I guess I had to. To skip over, but I don't mind. I for zombies and for sci-fi and stuff. I, I I tend to be pretty okay with with. I guess I I don't know. I guess I'm disagreeing with you. I think suspension of disbelief is kind of important. You can't sit there and nitpick at every little thing, especially in a fantasy or a science fictiony or a speculative fiction kind of genre. I agree that in a sci-fi there is some expansion of of what's possible and what's plausible. Um, now, I can see what you're saying is that if they create this universe and say that this is the rules are A, B, and C, and then out of left field they create rules D and E, then you know they haven't followed their paradigm. Um, but I think that if if they if they set a set of rules and and they kind of follow along with the storyline, then it, then it works. Yeah, and and that being said, I I don't think that the rules that he did break 
were so egregious that it killed the story for me. I still kind of enjoyed the story. It was I'm not a big fan of zombies, and maybe that's why I didn't like it as much as you guys did, but I still liked it. I'd still give it a thumbs up. Resno, what's your... Like, I mean, I'm predisposed. I'm going to probably like a, a, a zombie story as long as it's, you know, decent. What what Are you... Uh... Are you a zombie fan or not so much? or How, how did you come to this book? So I kind of just stumbled across the book. It was one of the ones that kind of popped up pretty quickly. when I, I actually looked for a zombie mo- uh, a zombie book. Um, I actually do like zombie books. Um, I'm a sci-fi fan. And um, I like some of the Resident Evils. Some of them I don't like. But I like 28 Days, 28 Weeks. You know, I like that whole zombie genre. Um, as long as the storyline's kind of there and it's kind of solid. Um That's what I really like. Huh, so that's interesting. All right, so how about, you know, so we don't have to go into any any spoilers just yet. How about technically? What did you guys think of the, um, well, let's start with the the narrator. What did you think of her voice work? I really liked it. I I thought she was um, a really great narrator, actually. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I tend to be okay with narrators, mostly. But I, I thought she did a really good job, actually. Yeah, I would agree. Um, there was no kind of snafus or any kind of thing that I thought, wow, that was pretty distasteful or bad. Um, um, like, well, I can only compare it to the last part, the last book we did because you know that I have limited experience with these kind of things. Um, when we compared to the other book, I felt like the intro was the the first book we did, uh, the second, the last book that we just finished. I felt like the intro was too long and too long-winded, and this just felt like a very continuous setup of here's the chapter, and then the book starts, and then you you know you continue on. I guess my one complaint that I do have is that the chapters didn't follow along with how the the song the tracks were numbered. So chapter three may have fallen on audio sample number four or something, and I, that kind of disjointedly threw me off when I was trying to find the next next track to play up. Oh, okay, you're saying just locating it on your, your player. Yeah, that makes good sense. Right. That no, it's, it's a small thing, but it, it kind of kind of bugged me a little bit. No, but it's 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 a really good point. It's a good tip if anybody's recording something like that. I thought that the narration in this was beyond reproach. I mean it was it was better than good. She set the tone perfectly in every scene and her voice control I, I can only imagine she must have made several takes of each reading um, to get the tone just right and I, I'm pretty sure she did and that he edited the, the ones that were perfect so her reading and the editing was I mean I, there's zero to complain about yeah actually you're probably right I probably understated that a lot because now that you mention all that I realize that um, it, it was really, really clean, and yeah, you, I, I guess I mean for her to have been so perfect every time, she must have done this just really, really. I mean, she must have done take after take, and and yeah, it was really smoothly produced. Actually, that's a good point. And to to edit that many takes, I mean, hats off to the author who who produced it all too. And I really like the subtle use of like music and and sound effects to sort of create the cinematic effect, whether good or bad. I, I, I kind of thought that that was really interesting that he put a lot of energy into making, setting the scene and getting you really into it. I loved that, honestly. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, for as much as I don't like the multiple voices in a production, uh, I mean, people voices, 
uh, I love like sound effects, music, stuff like that because I don't know that just brings me into the world. Even though someone's with the same voice is telling it to me, I want to hear the emotional stuff too. And and yeah, the music and there was this con- continuous theme throughout. So it, yeah, that that was dead on for me. I really enjoyed that. I I like when theme music is subtle and understated. And I'm going to, again, say that it's a big compliment to the author that I don't even know what you guys are talking about right now. I didn't notice any music. I just felt the mood was right throughout the book. So, I mean, I, he, he probably hit that exactly where he should have then. Yeah, throughout the book, um, sometimes I heard it, sometimes I didn't. There was a very subtle like background music that was playing. Um, I don't know if it was constantly through the book because I don't really recall that but it, you know sometimes there was some some music going on to sort of set the mood or you know transition into whatever was going on next yeah one of my problems probably then the reason that I don't listen to more audiobooks is that I really like to just sit down and and listen to stuff so that's how I listened to this book I actually started on I don't know I guess it was Thursday or Friday and just sat in my parents living room who I'm visiting for the holidays and just listened to this book. So I heard, I think, every nuance, every strain of music. And you're right, Resno, there was music in the background really, really, really subtly for a, a large portion of the, the book. And then there was the main theme music. So it was really, I mean, the, the sound quality and just the the, the, the atmosphere that uh, Ken and, you know, Ken, the author slash editor, created was just, yeah, it was beautiful, great. Yeah, and, and I just to back up something that Resno said earlier the pacing of this story could not have been better I could drop two chapters or one chapter into my you know scheduled podcasts for the day and pick up right where I left off and it was perfect and every chapter was a cliffhanger but not an oh my god I have to listen to the next chapter now kind of a cliffhanger it was just enough and if I didn't get to it for a couple of days, I could pick the story back up and was right back into it. And it just it speaks volumes as to the pacing of the story. Well, with me, when I when I uh, when, when so when we first started the book, I was really into it, um, and I, I later learned that no one had really picked it up at the time. So I kind of pulled off. But when I kind of felt differently than you. When I started it, I felt compelled to hear the next chapter. Like, I, I'd sit at work and I'd say, okay, I'm done with this chapter. I've got to hear what happens next. I've got to hear what happens with these characters. I need to know. I need to know what's going on because I, re- I really like the storyline. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit, again, with Resno on this. Um, I mean, I like I say, I mean, I, I had a deadline because I knew the show was going to be recorded t- today on Monday. So I only had basically the weekend. So... I kind of had to listen to it quickly, but I mean, every chapter, it just had such a great ending. Like, you didn't want it to end. It wasn't like it was a maybe a cliffhanger, but you just weren't ready for it to end yet. So you just had to listen to the next one, and it just kept going like that through, you know, every single track. I just kept going. I really admire that kind of writing. That's such a, a classic, audience-pleasing kind of writing that, that just, there's really something to it. It makes it really, truly just very entertaining in a very basic and nice way. You know, it's not something you really have to think about too much. It's just you like the characters, you want to find out what happens to them. I think that's kind of what I was trying to say when I said that it wasn't like a cliffhanger. It wasn't like, 
I didn't feel like a junkie having to come back for another hit of crack every time an episode <laughs> ended and I tried to hit start on the next episode. It it was more like, okay, that was good. It, I'd like to know what happens next, and when I get back to it, I'm comfortable getting back to it. Kind of like Lost. Lost, you felt like this this is like a huge cliffhanger and you must come back to it um, versus, you know, a regular show where it ends and you're kind of like, okay, well, I can pick it up at my leisure instead of, you know, feeling like, wow, the world just blew up. How are they going to come back from this one? I, I, I think I get what you guys are saying and I, I agree. I And I, I'm going to just throw out there that that's probably a cheaper thrill anyway, you know? I mean, I've never heard anyone say that Lost was a completely satisfying experience for them or Battlestar Galactica, you know? It's like, these shows that you get so into and you're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? I must I must see the next thing right now. I have to skip work today and watch the rest of the series. You know, it wasn't like that. It was just a nice, steady kind of, uh, I guess, pace of this of this novel where you, you, you need to find out what happens, but you're cool. You can wait a little bit and then come back to the book when it's, when you can pay attention to it. But there's that edge to it. And that's, and I think ultimately it was very satisfying. I didn't have a problem with really anything about this book so yeah if we're going to compare it to like a a, a a serialized tv show or something that had that kind of satisfying ending to each episode but really left you wanting the next episode the the last show that i ever watched that i remember having that same level of of satisfaction and 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 good pacing was uh the sopranos that show when i watched that at the end of every show, you're like, oh, what happens next? But you weren't like, if they don't tell me what happens next, I feel like pulling my hair out. Agreed. I didn't watch The Sopranos, so I can't even, I can't comment on it. Me neither. <laughs> <I was> just... <laughs> That's okay, because I didn't watch Lost Island or whatever. <laughs> but fair enough. So are we ready to switch over to the next portion now, or are we going to, uh, do we have any more other points? No, actually, that was about it for me without doing any spoilers. Yeah, I think I'm, I think we can switch over now. All right, so what are you drinking tonight, Klaatu? Uh, well, I'm, as you may know, a coffee drinker, and um, I brought my parents down for Christmas a uh, a coffee that I got from Trader Joe's, which is like a small sort of grocery store in my area, and it's a coffee. It's called the Wintry Blend, and so it's coffee, and it has a little bit of cinnamon, I think, a little bit of nutmeg, and strangely enough, red and black peppercorns mixed into it. So there's no artificial flavoring. It's just straight coffee and then with some spices. And I really thought, wow, peppercorns in coffee, how is that going to work? <laughs> Turns out it's really, really good. And I don't usually like, like I'm not a spiced latte or I mean a chai latte kind of drinker. I don't like spices in my drinks, my hot drinks, but this is really, really good. I highly recommend it. Um, and you can only get it at Trader Joe's during the winter, and it is called the Wintry Blend. Does Trader Joe's do, like, organics also, or no? I, I, I've been there, and I walked in, and I said, this is unusual, this is different, and I, I got a couple of different things, and we, like, left, but is it generally organics, or no? Yeah, usually they try, they, you can't, it's like I've, I used to assume that, like everything in the store was organic and beautiful and wonderful, and then I'd get something and, and I'd be eating it for three months, and then I'd look at the ingredients and I'd be like, oh, this isn't really all that much better than you know something you'd buy at a normal grocery store. But on the, on the for the most part, yes, it's usually really good ingredients, uh, really strangely good prices too. I mean, that's the only place that I shop for food 
uh, and I mean, I'm only one person, but I mean, my food bill is not, uh, it hasn't, it didn't increase once I started shopping at Trader Joe's versus, you know, just the local grocery chain. So, um, I, I, I love that store actually. Okay. So, um, me, I am also drinking a winterized beverage. It's, um, snow day from uh, winter ale from New Belgium, from, uh, New Belgium Brewing Company. It's a beer. And it's from the people, the fine people who bring you a uh, fat tire. One of my favorite drinks. Um, let me see here. It doesn't say what's in it, so I'm just going to have to just leave it there. Oh, no, wait, actually, hold on. It says dark caramel roasted midnight wheat with a serious load of something goldings and hops. Delicious. Okay, great. So what, is it like a dark beer, a light beer? How's it look in the glass? I think it's a light beer. I can't really tell because I'm not drinking it in a cup. I'm just kind of pouring it from a... I'm drinking it from a dark-colored um, bottle into my stomach. Oh, okay. And is it is it more like a hoppy beer, or is it more of a mellow, uh, like, malty? Or how, how is it? I think it's more hoppy. Um, it's not necessarily the hoppiest. So I had a, 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 a really hoppy beer, and um, I won't go into that. I won't go off into that tangent, but... This doesn't, it's not super hoppy, but it does have, you know, some hops in it. Okay, cool, cool. And and you give it a thumbs up? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love New Belgium, so I feel like they can't go wrong unless they go wrong. Nice, good to hear. I've got a glass of wine tonight. I've got a Yellowtail Chardonnay, and um, I'm really liking it. I, I have had Yellowtail Chardonnay before, and I don't remember liking it this much, but it's really good. It's, it's, um... Just it's mild all around. It's mildly oaky. Uh, if you like an oaky Chardonnay, it's it's mild at that. It's mildly bitter, um, like a lime would be, and it's mildly sour, like a lemon would be, and it's mildly sweet. And it's just there's nothing offensive about it. Everything is mild, but somehow all everything combined, it's it's a really strong taste with the, with a the lasting aftertaste. And it's uh, it's, I'm really enjoying it a lot. I'm liking it a lot. Cool. It sounds very oaky and lemony and tasty. Yeah, yeah, I'm really digging it. Um, so if we're into the spoilers now, I have got to give it to Dan Washko for um, for calling it on the last book because he said it would be hilarious if in this zombie book it was an artificial intelligence or a robot. I forget exactly what he said, but that was the main character. And I, I got to give it to Dan for calling it, and I'm glad I didn't bet against him. That's pretty hilarious, actually. How did he know that? So, so there was one pitfall that I really found in the book. Oh, um, how, one question that I had that never was really answered was kind of glossed over. When the girl um, ends up in the diner and one of the guys brings her back from the diner, they never really explained how did he find her, you know, like, why Why did he do that? Why did he bring her back to the house with Robin in it? Oh, they did. Never mind. How did they find her? That was my question. How did, how did, I think his name was Chris, how did Chris find the girl at the diner, you know, in a, a sea of all these people? How, how, did, how did he find her? Yeah, Michael found her, and I have no idea how he found her, and I have no idea how the people in the diner were not already affected by the the plague. Yeah, that I I thought I was missing something there. I'm glad to hear that neither of you understood that. And it, it seemed like 
it was like, we need to get you back, and poof, they found you, and you were back, and I, I kind of hated that we didn't explain what happened at the diner. It kind of just felt like, oh yeah, she was trying to get away, she ended up at this diner, she fell over, and poof, she's back where she started, and don't ask me questions about that, that's all taken care of now. Yeah, and I, I also wondered in that scene how he got her out of the diner. Like, here's this this girl, this young girl, covered in blood, wanders into a diner, and there's normal people in there. And all of a sudden, some dude just grabs her and somehow, you know, incapacitates her and drags her out of there. Nobody put up a fight or said anything. That was very weird. I, yeah, that, I don't even, I was going to kind of say maybe that would work better in a movie, but I think that would work worse in a movie. It just does that does not make any sense. I mean, in a movie, sure, he walks in, she sees him, she's relieved, and she faints into his arms. No problem. But it that isn't how it was explained. And, the, and it wasn't explained at all. I mean, there wasn't any kind of context about how they came to be. I mean, even if they said Robin put a transmitter on her or something, you know, like the virus made her transmit something. I mean, there wasn't any kind of explanation about how she was found and... You were just kind of left at, hey, she's just back here, and, you know, that's that's how it is. I think I went with it because, I, I don't know, I think there's, like, this sort of feel like, oh, well, they're all, they're all part of our main group, so naturally they would find each other somehow. But, yeah, when I heard it, I even when I was listening to it and very much in the story, I remember thinking, whoa, I must have, like, I must have tuned out for a minute because I, I, I definitely missed something here. Lost lovers with magnetism that pull each other back to each other. I'd say, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. Of the, I'd say I had probably three problems with the book, and that was one of them. But it was probably the least of them. So I didn't. I wasn't really too terribly bothered by that part. It's as much of a hole in the plot as it seems to be now that you guys are pointing it out. It didn't. It didn't affect me as much as the other two things. Yeah, it didn't. That's that's what I mean too. I, it didn't bother me at the time quite as much as it, it did when Resno pointed it out. What what else <laughs> did you not find uh, that worked for you, Pokey? Well, the first thing right off the bat was that this dude just threw money at the problem of creating AI, and it happened. Yeah. If if AI were were that easy that that throwing money at it would solve it, it would be done already, because plenty of people have already thrown tons of money at AI. And that... It's, I had the same problem with the last book, with the AI in the last book, and that's how Dan called it, was because it was such a, a hokey, awful thing in the last book that we reviewed. It, it was like the most egregious thing about that book. One of them, anyway. That book was pretty bad. But anyway, it, that's how Dan called it, because it would be hilarious if another AI showed up and was the key figure in the in the book, in the story. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I, I identified that the minute I understood what was going to... Yeah, I was like, oh no, it's got AI in it. And and I knew that it was going to like cause me hemorrhaging, because... But all three of us are geeks, right? I mean, we're, we're like the world's worst audience for anything having to do with AI. And I have like a policy with myself that if artificial intelligence happens in science fiction or, you know, speculative fiction in general, go with it. Because most people don't care. And furthermore, it's been established in our collective mind that in the, f in the world that doesn't exist right now, in this other fantasy world that we all sort of partake in of art and movies and books – 
AI is possible. HAL 9000 is possible. Androids with brains are possible. You know, it's just kind of, that's part of the lingua franca of people reading books or, or watching movies that are science fiction. So I just, I, I just make myself go with it. And that's how I got through that. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think of it that way. That's, that's a really good way to think about it. I just, again, put myself in the mindset that this book is the assignment and I have to get past it. And, and as soon as I got over it and just said, hey, don't put so much thought into the AI, it was done. Okay, the AI is there and it behaved exactly as the AI would behave and it was no longer a problem. Yeah, it's excruciating, really. Like, if you think about it for two minutes, you're just like, oh my gosh, how, how, so, so wait a minute. So this AI is doing what now? Feeling like Robin is feeling? You know, like, having these emotions like Robin has? You know, you're just like, you, you try to reverse engineer it and try to figure out how it would be possible, and then your inner geek just, yeah, it's just, it's a horrible thing. So I just avoid thinking about it completely. Yeah, and like I said, once I get over that part, like, is AI possible? No. Okay, we'll go with it for the, for the sense of the story, though. Once I got past that, yes, I, I felt that Robin behaved exactly as Robin would behave if AI were possible in the way that Robin became real in this story. And so once I just got, once I just said to myself, don't dwell on it, it really became believable again. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What was the other thing? Well, I think Resno just—he had something to say about this first. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. All right, and the other thing, well, and one more part about the AI, actually, because I just thought of it, I forgot, was um, at the end when they discussed Robin, the the real Robin, the little girl having the chip in her head. Um, that blew me out <laughs> of the water too, because in a world where that chip is possible and has been been made to happen in this guy's laboratory. He wouldn't have to worry about that scene with the investors because they already would be very rich men, and <laughs> and he already would have been funded. Well, you know the the, the, the tip idea kind of felt like a what? What did you know? Where did that come from? Um, and I feel like if you in a world we have chips, why didn't he use some type of technology, nanotechnology, to reanimate Robin instead of you know trying to create this? disease or what you know this this virus to do it um so that kind of felt like a a split a little bit yeah if, if all of robin's memories could be uploaded to a chip and sunk with some anatomy he could have just cloned a little girl and put the chip in it that's both of you have an excellent point and honestly i didn't even think of it when i was listening to it so i don't know yeah that's really funny that i didn't think about that because you were both totally dead on but I don't know. Somehow it, it, I glossed over it. Well, in the context of the story, you just kind of go with the flow, and if it doesn't feel like anything quite outlandish, you—I mean, I didn't—I didn't think about it now until, until Pokey really brought it up, and it just kind of got me thinking about the the plot line and the things that happened. And uh, I mean, if if they didn't, if they would have changed that, the storyline would have fallen apart, you know. So there's a there's a bit of just saying, okay, well, you know, that's just how it is, and going with that. Oh, see, I have to disagree with you on that. I think the storyline would not have fallen apart if the chip didn't exist. If the little girl came back to life and only had the knowledge and the experience that she had when she was alive, I think the story would have held together just fine. It's, o no, no, it's no, only no. the setup for the sequel that would have been damaged without the chip. Right. 
Right, exactly. No, I was saying that if, if he said, well, instead of trying to make the disease, let me just reanimate her with technology. You know, like I, I watched a TV show called Mantis, where this guy was reanimated. He was a, handy, uh, a paraplegic or something, and they used technology to reanimate his body. And so if they did something like that, then the storyline would have fallen apart. You know, he wouldn't have made the, the virus. The virus would have never been created, and that would have changed the whole storyline. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Sorry. Okay, and then in the last thing, the third thing that, that I had a problem with the story was um, the the virus itself, how they went into um, a great deal of detail explaining how the virus mutated, um, you know, because it was passed through bodily fluid, through the saliva, and then through the blood, and that's, that's just not how mutations happen. It you know, a mutation happens when the, when the genes of whatever thing, when the DNA or RNA, whatever's, you know, in a virus would, would change. And the, the vector of transmission would in no means cause that, would, would by no means cause a, a, a mutation like that. So to say that, that one person got it through the blood, so they were affected this way, and the other person got it through saliva, so they're affected that way. And one guy got it both ways, so he was affected differently that made no sense to me whatsoever and it also made no sense in saying that the people drank it in the water yet those were still considered to be the group of people who got it through their blood so i have to say that i disagree with you there um now i don't have a doc i'm not a doctor i don't have i'm not a pathologist i don't know how you know virus transmissions work and all those type of things yeah no problem so but but i would say that you know, under the guise of the story, I, I found it believable that there are different strains, different strains that you could contract, and based on the method, the vector that you receive it, you know, it changes how it uh, it operates. Now, I don't know if that is, exists in real life, you know, or so I don't know um, the possibility of it actually happening, but I know I kind of fell along and, and fell into it, and, you know, it's like, okay, well, that sounds fine to me. Yeah, it didn't disturb me so much. I mean, I don't think I even thought about it that much. I just, I was just going with the idea that there were different strains of the virus. And so I was accepting that, yeah, different people would have different kinds of reactions to it. I, I don't think I really thought of it as, as you explained it, uh, Pokey. And uh, all uh, the, the, the problem, the main problem I think I had was that the 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 initial way that it started spreading through the water in the first place, I just didn't buy that that was enough virus to you know to to drip out of the window and go down all the way to a mountain into a river. I just I had a little bit of a hard time accepting that part, but I got over it. Oh right, right. Without something causing it to reproduce, I hadn't even thought of that. In my mind, I kind of considered it like flubber. So like it, it flubs out the window and kind of like bounces down the wall. I mean, that, that was my vision when they explained it of just being like a, a ball of like goo that bounces down and and maintains its all its you know all its structure. Yeah, that's that's a better way of visualizing it because I I wasn't I was just like this. How much liquid was in here? It seems like it's gonna um, run out before it gets to the, the to the river. But um, like Pokey says, also I mean there. Again, I don't know anything about viruses, but it just it felt like that wasn't enough to contaminate a whole water supply to me. Yeah, I just I kind of saw it as once it escaped and got into the water supply, it it found a way to reproduce, and I I didn't have a problem with that part of it. It's just the 
the the the vector of transmission should not affect the the uh, nucleic <laughs> strands inside of a inside of a virus. I just I, I don't think that's how it works. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, you know, then uh, then I'm a real jerk for even bringing it up. But I don't think that's how it works. If you if you were injected with the flu, you're going to get the flu. If you are coughed on by someone who's got that same flu, you're going to get that same flu. You're not going to become a carrier who can't get the flu. That's just not how it works. But in, in this in this world of uh, genetically mutated diseases, it's it's possible and plausible to me that he could have genetically altered it to be to change based on its method of transportation or its vector. Yeah, as much as I love computers, that's exactly the amount of disinterest I have in the medical sciences. Um, <laughs> if this author tells me that that's possible, I was just like, yeah, okay, sounds good. <laughs> and, and that's how I got over it. Again, I just said, okay. And, and this one was actually easier for me than the rest of them. With this one, I was just able to say, okay, in this universe, in this world that this author has written that's how viruses work or that's how this particular artificial virus works and and i got over that one that one was was even easier to get over than the ai so i mean other than that i mean i felt now that i'm just kind of thinking over the storyline um did you all have a problem with the ai controls or the i guess the more technical aspects of it of like the server room and the safe room and being able to like knock out the camera and take her down and all that kind of stuff or you know what were your thoughts about that not at all i had no pro those are my really only three problems yeah i was i was uh, honestly at, at some point during the story it was around the time i guess they they reached the lodge or the the you know the, the place where the ai is um uh i i, I just kind of started finally warming up to the characters so much that I wasn't anymore thinking really about the the details of I don't know like the plot details I was just I was I wanted to find out what happened to these people so everything I mean yeah the whole thing I, I pretty much I was okay with I was okay with the way they spoke to the AI the different tricks they would use to uh, you know to get the AI the Robin to do different things I, I was yeah I was fine with all that stuff I, I was I was into all of it yep I even was able to accept the you know, once once the transmission of the virus was explained, the way that it was, I was even able to to accept the thawing out of the frozen bodies. I was just gonna say I, I was able to buy that sort of just because in other zombie movies, at least like um, the Return of the Living Dead, I think it is, um, both of those they, they kind of do that trick in in those movies. So I was like, I don't know, it was a zombie convention that I kind of fell into. What did you all think about the ending of it and the sort of hinting at the next one? You know, where they put them down into the cryogenic, you know, tube and, and so long, let's see what happens in the future. What did you think about that ending? Did it feel like it was kind of lax or did he did he actually kind of, you know, what did you think about it? It wasn't the ending that I wanted, but I was totally okay with it. But I, I never know how a zombie book is going to, or a zombie story is going to end. It's, it's always up in the air because half of them kill everybody the other half make sure the characters get away and fall in love and you know it's just you never know what's going to happen so um yeah i was i was all right with this ending actually and I, I would i would listen to another book if he if he writes another one i mean a sequel that is he is writing another one. Oh, okay i'll listen to it i agree that it was not the ending that i wanted 
but I think it was better than the ending that I wanted. The, the total apocalypse of the world and the world's destroyed and the good guys don't win it was great. That that hit me in a way that I really appreciated. You must have been in a really bad mood this week, Pokey. <laughs> you don't know the half of it, but that had nothing to do with it. <laughs> me personally, I, I didn't really like the ending of the book. Um, and, and maybe I was just looking for... You know, a patio book to be finite and finished and be done with. And okay, I close this this chapter and let me pick up the next one. Um, I found I thought that the book was uh, just uh, just kind of like a soft ending that you know, you know, the guy can't make it and she runs over and the girl's kind of just kissing the disease away and you know, they're locked up for the next book and she's off spreading the virus for the next you know the the other book and then you know, I, I don't know, just kind of felt like. You thought you caught it, but you didn't. And now the two people, we've saved two people for the next book, and let's try again then. Now, the only part that I really didn't like about the ending is how easy it was for everybody to get through these security checks. There were no blood tests. There were no, there was no kind of check of any kind other than the dude got scratches, so he can't come along. <laughs> right. And, you know, I didn't like that either. Um, I felt like in a world where they have hazmat, hazmat suits on and they're like checking everybody out and, and Robin's able the Robin the girl is able just to lollygag right on through and kiss people and drink water and infect all the soldiers you know and, and he's he stopped because he has scratches on him you know you've got scratches on you've got gangrene or whatnot, and we're not going to let you through and if you come through we're going to shoot you yeah that's a, another good point I I, I... I was probably cognizant of that sort of weakness, but again, I guess I kind of, kind of went with it. I guess, I, other than that, I have a personal sort of issue with books that set up for the next, the, the next story, even in movies where they're just like, you know what, we could have ended this in a good way, but we're not because we want to make the next, next edition of it. You know, I, I, I have a personal issue with that, of getting the closure, and then okay. Let's find the angle for the next book. I felt like, let's just leave this wide open so that we can start this from some new angle, you know? Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I have that. I think maybe a lot of people have a little bit of that. I guess I'm so used to it now. It's just kind of like, I don't know, that seems to be what people do. It's like, I'm going to write a sequel whether everyone really wants one or not. And it's kind of up in the air, though, because what's the alternative? Like, okay, I'm going to close this book. I'm going to give everyone closure, but everyone wants another one, so now I'm going to have to somehow generate another sequel even though I totally brought the other one to a close. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like the story doesn't naturally continue, but he's kind of making it continue. But I think I think I'm just kind of used to that now and and so I guess I don't mind it so much. Well I do mind it, but I guess I don't because I'm used to it. <laughs> I I have the same thing with a lot of stories where they will throw in something that has nothing to do with the story in order to open the door for a sequel. But I thought the way that he left the door open for the sequel in this one was acceptable. I, I, I gave this one a pass for doing that same thing because I think what he did, um, I think he wrote, or has in mind anyway, a much bigger story. And... I think his motivation for doing that is to tell that bigger story. Whereas if I see it done in a Hollywood film or a television show series or something like that, 
you can tell they've told the whole story and they're leaving the door open to make more money. That's not this guy's motivation. So I, I kind of had I kind of gave him a pass for that. I think. Yeah, same here. I, I don't feel like he's trying to scam us out of anything because his book is free. <laughs> so it's just like he wants to tell more story, and I'm okay with that because I liked it. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, other than that, I really I'll go back and say that I really do like the book and. In, um, I actually sent him an email and said, hey, we really liked your book. We're doing a, a review of it on Hacker Public Radio. And um, yeah, he replied back and said, great, I'm, I'm working on the next book. And I don't, know if he's, I don't know if he's in the writing phase right now or if he's actually recording it. I need to go back and check the email. But, you know, he's a real nice guy. And, uh, you know, I'll certainly listen to the next one if I'm, if I'm aware that it came out. Yeah, I mean, I have to say I really, really admire people who can tell this kind of story. Like, me personally, I tend to gravitate toward the more esoteric, weird stories where the plot isn't really, you know, a cliffhanger every chapter and stuff like that. I don't really like direct plots a lot of times. I like to just kind of meander around and think about things philosophically. I mean, that's just kind of stories I'm into. So this kind of story... You know, I don't do well with, like, spy stories. I don't do well with thrillers or anything like that. But, like, a good sci-fi or a zombie book I I really get into. And I just love it when someone can really just tell a very traditional story where you are entertained from the beginning of each chapter until the very end. And you want to come back for more. And you're liking it and you're enjoying it. I mean, I had a great weekend because I was listening to this book the whole time. So I I really admire his... his, um, what he does, I, I think he's doing a, a fantastic job, and I w- I'm I've definitely already mentioned this book um, to like everyone here at, at my house, at my parents' house. So, you know, I've recommended the thing to anyone I think who will sit through a zombie book. So, um, I'm I'm very impressed. I hope that Ken Crawford, the author, if he hears nothing else, he heard. I hope he hears that you just said this book made you have a good weekend because that is some of the highest praise that I could imagine, you know, if like if I ever did something. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal, right? I mean, that's what he wants to do. He wants to tell a story and have people enjoy it. And uh, I think I think we all did. So that's a that's a really cool thing. Yeah, I, 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 I did actually enjoy the storytelling. I did enjoy the stories for as much as, as complaining as I do and nitpicking as I do. Overall, I did enjoy the story. I thought that you know, specific things that happened in the story were fantastic. Like the way that um, uh, the the oh shoot, the football player guy, the way he turned his back on uh, on the 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 main uh, actor, the main character, and walked away. He did that in a totally believable way. It was it was perfect. I think all of the characters were, like I say, I mean, in the first chapter, I wasn't in love with the characters. I was like. I don't know how much time I can spend with these teenagers. I really hope we're not going to be with them the whole time. And by the second or third chapter, I was like, "Hey, I kind of like these guys. I'm I'm glad we're hanging out, you know." And 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 everything they did was pretty much yeah, pretty natural. I felt I never felt like they did anything just to because something in the plot needed to happen. You know, they were all very believable. I felt like I knew them all. I I, I thought the I mean, always in a book or a movie, the character is where it's at. If you latch onto a character then you'll you'll go with it and you'll you'll enjoy it and that's that's what happened here so he really did a great job there 
Yeah, and I didn't feel like, you know, like just like you mentioned, Clad 2, those are the moments where you're like, okay, like the person's coming with a knife, run, run. You know, they're still standing there like screaming or looking at yeah. them. I didn't feel like there was a time where it was like, run, idiot. You know, it was like, it all just kind of made sense that, hey, if there were zombies downstairs, you get up in the attic. And, oh, wow, she fell through the attic. You know, that that felt like that felt like something that could happen. You know, you fall through the attic and you fall, plummet to your death, and there the zombies are. Yeah, the, like, for instance, to, to, to go with that, the one girl who did just stand there and take it from the zombies, he set that up, like, for three chapters. He was like, oh, she's... She's tweaking out, and oh, she's ready to crack. And then in the third chapter, she stood still and just took it. And it, it was totally believable because he set it up right. He, yeah. He did such a good job with that. That's a, that's a really good point. So And so it, it felt believable because the author had set it up and, and made you understand that that's how the character was and, and didn't just kind of make it up into the scene sort of thing. So. Yep, that and like the fight scene. Like, I've had fights like that, where somebody <laughs> hits somebody, and it's clearly in the wrong, but everybody kind of takes the blame so that nobody gets as much of it. I've, I've been in situations like that back in high school, so that was that was really cool, too. And just again and again, these believable situations happened. The only one that was kind of weird, and he worked it out exactly as I thought he should have, he just took longer to do it, was when they first started seeing zombies and everybody was like, what's wrong with these people? What's wrong with these people? Whereas you would think like, oh shit, there's zombies. You know, he, he, it seemed like for a while he was going to pretend that no one had ever heard a zombie story, but then he finally, they just said it like, yes, it's zombies, just like in the damn movies. Right, right. I think that's always so tricky in zombie stories now because it's so postmodern, you know, like early zombies... Yeah, you had to explain to the audience, this is what a zombie is. This is how they got that way. And, and by the way, they want human flesh, you know, no, and no one's heard of it. But now if we're doing a movie or a book, I mean, we have all heard of zombies. So the characters should have heard of zombies. Or are you doing an alternate universe where this is the first time zombies have ever appeared and it's not in pop, pop culture? I think that's always tricky. And I, I was I was with you, Pokey. I, I think I was like, okay, how... You know how how aware are are they of this? But I think it it did work itself out a little bit to where where they knew what a zombie was. They just couldn't believe that that was actually what they were seeing. And then they finally accepted that okay, yes, that is what they're seeing, and that's that. You know, trying to to try to think about something I just thought about. Um, you kind I kind of felt for the 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 girl as she was walking through the scenes and making her way through life. Um, I was thinking about the van where, you know, she comes down and, and she's thirsty and hot and she's drinking that hot water. And just as she's walking away from the van, she has a cell phone ring and she really wants to go back because that can be her rescue. Um, and of course, the zombies have arrived. And so, you know, I felt for that scenario where you know, you're thinking, do you run back with your foot busted and get your cell phone and get to your rescue? Or, you know, do you turn and run for your life? So I kind of like that that's that change where you know we all have cell phones. So it was interesting that he he put that in there as a as a kind of twist in the in the plot. Yeah, I think I think that's another problem with with movies and books these days. Like we all know that everyone's got a cell phone, so like half the time you're just like, "Hey character, why don't you open your cell phone and call someone?" you know. And yeah, he 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 mitigated that well. And yeah, the the character was very sympathetic pretty much throughout. 
Yeah, that, that particular scene with the cell phone was really cool, I agree. It, it was really well done. But it reminded me of another... Uh, I, it's not a problem I had with the story, but I'd say a question mark left unanswered. And what do you guys think about this? Was the bear a zombie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't I couldn't decide on what I thought about that. I, I was going to actually say no. I didn't think that the bear was a zombie. I thought it was a, a you know a real-life bear um, just doing its bear thing. Um, yeah. I have zero experience with bears. So, I mean, I could see a zombie bear. I could see a normal bear. I wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I thought at first he started acting like a zombie, but then he was acting more like a bear and... I just I was unsure. It was it was not clear. But either way, I don't think that would have changed the story of the plot line um, if it was a zombie or not a zombie. No, it didn't. It didn't really change the plot line. It, it kind of it delayed it long enough to build up some tension. Um, you, you know, with with the zombies walking up behind him, and it it kind of made it so that they sprung the trap that they couldn't escape from. I just I would have liked a little more detail on that. What did you guys think about the level of gore that happened in this book? I thought it was dead on. I mean, zombie stories, I expect gore. um, But at the same time, I don't need Stephen King-type descriptions of, you know, how their head splattered like a watermelon, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't... I I thought, yeah, I thought it was, I was... I thought it was pretty much exactly what I expected, actually. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I thought it was tastefully done. You didn't feel like it was too much. And on each episode, they started with, you know, this is a gory show, and just for you know that it's gory, and be prepared. Um, n- maybe if you had some kids at home, this would be a different story. But, you know, I felt like it was it was right amount, um, just enough. You know, there were some... I've never I've never listened to... Uh, you know, like, there's some some moves that you watch where it's just like, wow, this is, this is gore just for gore's sake. And I didn't get that... I didn't get that feeling. I think we're unanimous on that one then and I'm this is coming from a guy who complained about the over descriptiveness that happened in the last book that we read. I th- I thought this one was was right on for the type of story that it was. I guess Resno's got a good point though like if this is not a book for for kids probably um I don't really have kids or I, I don't know what they listen to or think about but um I don't think this would be suitable for kids. Oh, no, not suitable for kids at all. And he, he was up front with that. I I don't think any zombie story is going to be suitable for, for kids. I mean, it'd have to be, like, really, you know, Nickelodeon to be appropriate for a kid. But no, I've, I've got... Um, my youngest is 11 and my oldest is 13, and I, I wouldn't let them listen to this or, or watch a zombie movie. It just it wasn't appropriate for that age, for sure. Oh, okay. But... Yeah, but for the type of story that it was... I, I was just wondering, because in the last one that we listened to, the gore was so... It was gore for gore's sake, and, and uncomfortable descriptions for the sake of creating discomfort for the listener. And this one... Crap, it was my wife's chinchilla making noise. <laughs> doing it just because he could, instead of doing it for a reason to actually further the story. Exactly, exactly. He he. In this one, the gore was descriptive of what was happening, what the characters were seeing, and why they were so terrified. What else, Klaatu, did anything else, like, really stand out to you as well done that we haven't covered? I don't think so. I feel like we've covered everything that I kind of really, really enjoyed the most about the story. Um, I can't think of anything else. I Like, again, I really, really enjoyed it, so that's a good thing. 
How about you, Resno? Have we covered everything? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, there's nothing that really... Uh, I mean, other than that, I, I felt like it was, a, it was a good book overall, and when the second one, when the next one comes out, I'll listen to that one, and you know, if there's a third, I'll listen to that one as well. Um, I thought it was good, and I've said that several times already, but uh, yeah, I thought it was a good movie, a good story, not a movie. Excellent, excellent. So, Klaatu, you haven't uh, been on any of the audiobook club review shows before, so being the newest guy, um, did you did you bring a, a, a book for our next listen? Yes, I did, um, but I'm not sure, I mean, it's not expected that I've already heard this book, right? Nope, it's not expected. It's okay if you have, but it's not expected, no. Okay, cool. Um, well, I chose one from, from patiobooks.com just because I thought that's what we were going for. I, I'd kind of forgotten about LibriVox, and if I'd known about LibriVox, I probably would have picked something like Three Musketeers or something, but I didn't, or I, I didn't know that's what we were doing. So Patiobook, um, I'm a big fan of like space adventures and stuff like that, early Heinlein, stuff like that. Um, so I saw a, a book called Space Casey which I thought looked like a humorous but entertaining uh, sort of spacey, sci-fi, spaceship kind of book. Um, and I think that's the one that we should do, and I'm going to paste the link in the little chat over here. Christiana Ellis. That is the one. I have heard this book before. Oh, have you? Uh, is it? Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Okay, should I pick some? I had a second... Uh, a second choice if if you don't want to do one that you've already heard. No, no, I'd say go for it. And and okay. I think I, I actually think it might help us out as far as like getting people to listen to something that already comes with a thumbs up cuz I I thought this one was excellent and I It looks like a really entertaining book. I just I saw the description, I I saw the art. I just I thought this looks like it's going to be a fun space adventure. It's I will say this going into it. It's um it's fairly juvenile in its sense of humor, but it's not for kids, I wouldn't say. Um, maybe, maybe young adult. Uh, so in the, in the vein of something like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, that kind of thing, it was, it was humorous in that way. And I will, I will just say that this is, this is definitely one worth listening to and joining us on the next book club, if even as a participant, uh, to review the book. So yeah, it, it's uh, I'm already going into this one with a thumbs up, and I'm gonna, and I look forward to listening to it a second time to to nitpick it the way that I do. <laughs> cool. I'm glad I picked one that you uh, knew of. I think it's gonna. I I have high expectations. I think it looks good. Klaatu, do you have a lot of history listening to patio books? No, I don't actually. Um, well, actually, I should say my my mom actually listens to audiobooks like all the time. So I, I used to overhear them a lot back when I lived at home, but um, on my own, no, I don't really listen to that many audiobooks. This is probably the first one I've heard in ages. So, I mean, this one, The, the Dead Hunt. So, um, so yeah, this is actually really kind of a new thing to me, and I'm based on Dead Hunt, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to maybe doing it more often. Yeah, me too. Uh, when I first talked to Integral and pokey and they were first starting up doing the book review um even actually a little bit before the book review I, you know i was suggested a couple and i was like ah i listened to them and it didn't really spark my interest and i kind of stopped um but since the last one and going into this one i mean i've, I've it's really kind of sparked my interest in really going further and listening to them yeah and as always i really i love the fact that 
that, for instance, you could just email Ken, you know, like, and say, hey, I liked your book. That, to me, is really cool. I, I, I like to have that personal contact, or at least the knowledge that I could personally contact the artist if I wanted to. I'm much more interested in experiencing art that I know the person who did it, rather than, oh, I know this person is in Hollywood and I can never speak to them because they've got bodyguards around them and they will never answer any fan mail. You know, I don't, I'm not into that. So I like the personal touch of, of patio books, especially. Right. And I feel like, you know, it's, it was really cool to get a response from him and say, you know, like, Hey, this is what I'm working on. Hey, what'd you think about this? Or what'd you think about that? And being able to, you know, really have that one-on-one connection with the author and being able to give your feedback. I thought, you know, it's really cool. I so totally agree with that. I've listened to several patio books specifically from people who I'm like books these are like first class books and you can just email the guy or chat to him on you know on Google Plus I've chatted to a couple of guys um it's really really cool that you can do that or and at the same in the same vein I can go out and buy their book and get an autographed copy you know a hardcover it's it's really cool to be able to to go either way with that yeah this is a great time to be both an artist because you can distribute your stuff really easily or to be a someone who who likes art because you can you can do that yeah you can buy someone's book you can get it autographed you can talk to them you can email them it's just so so cool i really enjoy it all right so space casey by christiana ellis and it's going to be available on patiobooks.com and that's going to be our next book please 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 listen to this book uh, this audiobook, consider joining us the next time we record this. Uh, keep tabs with us. Um, you can you can either email um, hpr at hackerpublicradio.com or you can stop in the chat room. We're usually in um, Augcast Planet on the IRC, uh, excuse me, on the Freenode IRC network and, uh, and, and keep in touch with us on when we're going to record the next show. Um, by the time this one comes out, who knows, because I, I do a lot of editing, and sometimes that takes me some time, but if you're interested in joining us for this book or even for any book after that, just get in contact with us, please. We'd love to have more people join in, more of a roundtable, more of a community feel to this, uh, and to Hacker Public Radio. We're, we're always striving for that that community feel where more people get involved. And with that, I'm ready to say goodnight. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HPR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license. Okay, while we were recording, um, I realized that I never hit record on Mumble.